Well, welcome everybody to, to River Glen. For those of you here in Waukesha or at our Pewaukee campus or online, wherever you are, my name is Don. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I am so glad that you're here today. Well, we've been in this series called I Believe in God, But, because studies show that most people in America believe in God. Matter of fact, 90% of people believe in God, but they still have doubts and questions. And if we were really honest with each other, I think we all suffer from doubts and questions from time to time. This week, we're dealing with probably the most culturally relevant and probably the most controversial message in this whole series, and that's, I believe in God, but Christians are intolerant. Now, you've probably heard that statement before, or maybe you're thinking, that sounds pretty accurate to me, because if I was being honest, you might even say Christians can be kind of annoying, and they really don't represent God very well, so you may be open to God, but you're not so sure you really want to deal with Christians. If that's where you've been, or maybe you've heard that before, I am so glad that you're here today because we're going to unpack this really tough subject. There's a Christian comedian named John Christ, and he has a character named Church Lady. Check out Church Lady going to Vegas. Look at this pyramid. Mmm, let my people go. Oh, virgin daiquiris, my cup overflows. Oh, look how she is clothed, not in strength and dignity. Look at all these people gambling. Borrower is slave to the lender. Don't you dare even look at it. We do not swear in this house. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What? Stop it, Brenda. Mm, it's not a want, it's a need. Tattoos and piercings, absolutely not. My body is a temple. Look at this beautiful city. Oh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, no thank you, I will not be going into this hotel. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Mm, those aren't the angels that visited Jesus, I'll tell you that. Come on, Christian. Sometimes we need to kind of laugh at ourselves. Listen, wherever you are on this sensitive topic today, let's all make a commitment just to open our hearts a little bit and allow God to speak into us. Well, something you may not know about me is I love to go grocery shopping. I really do. I know that seems a little bit weird, but my favorite kind of grocery store is anywhere where I can go in and they have one of those samplers at the end of the aisle, you know, the person with the hairnet and the skillet. That's got to be my favorite. Now, your traditional stores only have a few of those, what I like to call mini meal stations. But if you go to Costco or Sam's Club, they're literally like all over the place. And you have to try them all. It's like a game to try to figure out where they're at. But there's an art to this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You walk by the table and you act like this is the first mini meal station that you've ever seen before. And so you walk up a little surprised and interested. You wait for the person to say, Hey, would you like to try a sample? And you say, sure, and you take a bite, and you act like it's the best thing that you've eaten all day. Now, as soon as you do that, there's one important question you need to ask, is you ask, where could I find these great treats? And they'll tell you the aisle. And the reason why you ask is it gives you permission to take your second one as you walk away. <laughs> now, there's only one place that I know of that has better samples or had better samples than maybe a Costco or a Sam's, and that's Baskin and Robbins. How many of you guys remember Baskin Robbins? They had those little pink spoons that you could sample all the different flavors. They had actually, it was called 31 Flavors. I can tell you that was my favorite. For those of you who don't know Baskin Robbins, it was kind of like the Starbucks of ice cream back in the 80s and 90s. I grew up going to 31 Flavors. When I went with my family, I always asked for the triple scoop, but no parent lets that happen. You guys know it's a law. It is a law, kids. So I always just got a single scoop, and I just made up the difference with free samples, and then I went and got a job there. It's a true story. It was my very first job. 
And I tried them all, even the butter pecan, which I think is probably the worst flavor there. Sorry if you have any butter pecan fans out there, but I'd like to know what's your favorite flavor. If you've never been to Baskin Robbins, what's your favorite flavor of any kind of ice cream? On the count of three, I want you to yell it out. One, two, three, go. I heard a few Rocky Roads and some vanillas over on this side. That's kind of the, the boring side of the room. Um, so here's my point in sharing that with you. That illustration is kind of how some people look at religion. They, they say, look at all the religions and all the worldviews. They're all basically doing the same thing. They all teach us to love one another. They believe in some God of some kind. Everyone's just trying to figure it out. They're just living a good life. They're just doing it in different ways. They're all just different flavors, but at least they're all still ice cream. I'm just going to pick the flavor that best fits me. Now, you might choose something totally different. Pick whatever you want. But if you tell me that my flavor is wrong or it's weird or it's different, you, my friend, are what? Intolerant. That's how a lot of people look at religion. And unfortunately, that's how they look at morality as well. We look at it like going to a Baskin Robbins, and we just have 31 flavors that we can choose from. Imagine for a second if we applied that flavor mindset to a bank. Hey, you just pick how you want to do it, and I'll pick my way on how I want to do it, and nobody will be wrong. We don't do that at a bank, do we? There's a definitive standard of truth. You can count on the rules of a bank. If I deposit $1,000 into a bank one day, I can go back at any time in the future, and I can withdraw that $1,000. But what if I went to a bank to withdraw my money, and I went up to the teller, and the teller looked up my information and said, sorry, there's no money in your account. What? Wait a minute. I was just here the other day. I gave you $1,000. You gave me a receipt back saying that you had my $1,000. I want my money. And the teller's like, whoa, you need to calm down, sir. Why are you trying to define what is and what is not true and impose that on me and this bank? Why are you being so rigid and intolerant? That would never work in a bank, right? We don't like to see our faith or our morality like a bank. We like to see it more like 31 flavors. Everyone has their own flavors, their own combinations. No one's right or wrong. Whatever works for them is kind of really up to them. But I want to challenge that thought a bit today. There was a Christian uh, letter, or there was a letter sent to a well-known Christian blogger by another Christian who didn't like something that the blogger had said. And here's the letter. Dear, I, I won't use his name, but the Jesus I believe in wants people to be compassionate towards each other, not judgmental because of who they are or who they love or what lifestyle they choose or what gender they are or choose. Who are you, Christian blogger, to say what's right or wrong? You have no right to say what sin is. Our job as Christians is to be compassionate to everybody, not to be intolerant by talking about sin. Now, I don't know a lot about this Christian blogger personally, and I don't know what stirred that particular response, but here's the point. That response has so many catchphrases that have permeated our culture today. Like the Jesus I know is, or there's no such thing as right or wrong, and if you believe different, then dot, dot, dot. If you even have a belief that something is, is right or wrong, you, by definition, are now intolerant. When you look at the definition of the word tolerance, it's changed a lot over the last 25 years. It used to mean that you could deeply disagree with someone, that you could tolerate their viewpoint. That's really what the word tolerate implies. It means that even though you disagree and you can't see eye to eye with somebody, you can still respectfully get along. You can tolerate their view. 
You, you see, your attitude has a lot to do with the tone of the disagreement, but not anymore. These days, you're intolerant simply for holding certain beliefs. No matter how loving and respectful you are in the process, it really doesn't matter. You're still considered intolerant because of that belief. I like the, well, the, uh, the way the well-known author Tim, Collar, Tim Keller describes tolerance. Tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who you disagree with. That's what tolerance really is. Being tolerant doesn't mean I have to give up my beliefs or my values. It doesn't mean I can't have a great relationship with somebody that I disagree with. Tolerance isn't really about my beliefs at all. It's about how I treat people that I disagree with. So how you treat a person is important. So I want to ask you, how do you treat people when you have a disagreement with them? What does it look like when you disagree with each other? And what does it look like when they disagree with you? Because even if you think it's unfair, even if somebody labels you as intolerant and you don't think that they should, there's still going to be a response in all of these areas. We're talking about real life things here, whether it's Republicans and Democrats, homeschool versus public school versus private school. I'm talking about Christians who have theological debates with cloth diapers versus disposable, Batman versus Superman. Shouldn't be an argument. Batman wins every single time. But I'm talking about grass-fed, non-GMO versus they know your first name at McDonald's and all the other disagreements that we have in our culture today. How should we treat people we clearly disagree with? And how can Christians truly be tolerant in a world that's full of intolerance? If you have a Bible, let's turn to 1 Peter. If you don't, there's a Bible in front, in the seat back in front of you. Take that with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. So let's read in 1 Peter 1.1. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now on the surface, the scripture doesn't seem to be saying very much, but it sets the context of the rest of 1 Peter. I want to point out who Peter is writing to. He's writing to foreigners. He's writing to a group of people who are following Jesus, and they're living in a region where people don't really like these Jesus followers. Matter of fact, if you read further, Peter tells us that these people are being persecuted because of their belief system. And these aren't just minor disagreements. They're living among extremists. These are, they are mocking, they're pressuring, and they're threatening. And in some cases, they're harming these believers because of their belief in Jesus. People, this is still going on today. You see it all over the Middle East. People are being harmed and persecuted. Churches are being bombed and blown up. We see it on the news all the time. It's been happening a lot, especially lately. Matter of fact, more Christians are losing their life today than at any point in history. Let that sink in for a moment. But persecution also happens in our country, within our lives. It happens in our colleges and in our high school. When a teacher mocks a student simply because they believe that God created the universe. It happens on Facebook and social media where people bash each other over their faith. It even happens at family gatherings when somebody brings up faith or religion and immediately you think, here we go again. And then the jokes start and then they get ugly and then the inevitable arguments start. So how do we handle that? How do we handle people that we disagree with? That's the context that Peter writes this letter. I want to turn to chapter 3 where Peter sees this persecution that's going on and he encourages them, but he also has some uh, answers for them as well. 
Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So the first way that we disagree well is be ready to give an answer. Peter challenges us to always be ready to explain your faith. And I think that's great advice for anybody, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, because we should all know, kind of to think through what we truly believe. We should be ready to explain where we are in our understanding of God. If someone asked you today to explain why you believe what you believe, what would you say? What would you tell them? For example, what answers would you have for why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Why do you believe that the Bible's true? Why do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? This whole series we've been in is covering these topics, and we've been hoping to give you some answers to some of these really tough questions that people ask you. You know, if you didn't see any of those messages, I encourage you, go back to our webpage, check them out, or go back and watch them again. It's really going to help you have answers. So when people call you intolerant, you actually have a response to why you believe what you do. It's not only a good idea to have a response, it's here in the scriptures as well. A great way that kind of helped me find answers was books like Case for Christ and Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. Another great book uh, that you just recently saw the speaker come to the church, J. Warner Wallace, A Case for Christianity. It's a great book that helps explain the, the resurrection of Jesus. You can watch that as well. I also follow uh, J. Warner Wallace on Facebook. He's got some great links to articles and blogs that kind of help you with some of the tough questions in the Christian faith. But probably the best way to, to, to help me find answers was to being in community, being in, in things in groups like Alpha and Rooted, and just being in life groups in general. It not only made the biggest difference in my Christian walk and Christian life, but it gave me answers for what I really believe. If you're not in a group right now, I encourage you next week and be here. We have an event called Group Link. It's going to be out in the lobby, and we have all kinds of active groups where you can ask tough questions and dig into the Bible, but also get out and do some fun things. I encourage you to be here and sign up for one of those groups. Shouldn't people who claim the message of Jesus have the most understanding of the Bible and what they believe? We should. The evidence is there. We just need to take the time to learn why we believe what we believe. So when a conversation comes up, you have an answer. Now, sometimes you're not always going to have an answer, and that's okay to say, you know what, I, I don't know. Let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. Sometimes it's just sharing your story, and this is what I like about your story. It makes such a big impact on other people, and people can't argue with your story. You know why? Because it's yours. It's what really has happened to you. What did, what's the difference that Jesus made in your life? But wherever you are in your faith journey, have an answer for what you believe. Paul says, always be prepared to give an answer for your hope. Well, maybe you're here today and you have some suspicion about all this because having answers and being firm on things is really what kind of creates a lot of problems in this world. Maybe we just need to back off and quit trying to find all the answers for everything and for everyone. Let everyone kind of come to their own conclusions. Kind of reminds me of a skit that used to be on Saturday Night Live. I'm not a big fan of Saturday Night Live, but I was a big fan of this, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Uh, if you've never heard of Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, he's got some really great wisdom probably for a, a high school kid or a college kid, and that's what I went off of. He says, instead of having answers on a math test, they should just call them impressions. And if you got a different impression, so what? 
can't we all just be brothers? My, my dad was a math teacher, and math was not my thing. Matter of fact, I may have been the original person to quote that. And fortunately, that doesn't fly with a math teacher. But that's the world we live in. Why can't we just all be a coexist bumper sticker and tolerate everyone's viewpoint? No right, no wrong, just different impressions. But here's the thing. That didn't work with my dad, and it really doesn't work in the world today. What if doctors took that viewpoint, if they just had impressions? Imagine if you we went to the doctor for a checkup, and he asked how you were feeling, and you said, Doc, man, I feel great. I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. Matter of fact, I feel 10 years younger than the last time that I was here. So the doctor checks you out, and he says, you know what? You're right. You look great, and he sends you on your way. Well, later that day, after two brats and some cheese fries and a ding-dong lunch, you have a major heart attack to your surprise. So they rush you to the hospital, and they find out you have three blocked arteries. Well, after you recover through that, that episode, you go back to the doctor, and you're saying, listen, doc, what happened? I came in for a health checkup. You told me I looked fine, and they just told me I had three blocked arteries. I almost died. And he says, well, that was your impression. I didn't really want to offend you. You said you were fine, so I agreed. I didn't want to come across as intolerant. Would that work for you? No, you're going to say, Doc, listen, I came to you because you're the doctor. I wanted you to, to tell me the truth about my health so I can make the right decisions. After all, you're the doctor. Sometimes, friends, the real answers sound intolerant, but they may save your life. The truth is a lot of people think there are a lot of paths to God. And that sounds good. That sounds tolerant, doesn't it? Everyone on their own journey, do your best, be honest, be sincere. We're all going to end up in the same place in the end, right? Wrong. Billy Graham said once, if you ask a man the direction to New York City, and he said, oh, just take any road you wish, they all lead there, you'd question either his sanity or his truthfulness. Somehow we've gotten into our minds that all roads lead to heaven. And the truth is, when you sit down and you look at the different religions, they have different pathways and they all can't be true. For example, let's just compare Islam with Christianity. To believe in Christianity, you need to believe in these three things. That Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that Jesus rose from the dead conquering death. Now what does Islam say about these claims? Well, it rejects all three. Matter of fact, in Islam, it believes that if you believe that Jesus is God, that automatically sends you to hell. Now, I'm not just picking on Islam because every single religion outside of Christianity doesn't believe in these three things as well. And I mean every single one of them. We have a problem here. These clearly are not the same paths trying to get to the same place. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now that's pretty intolerant of Jesus, isn't it? Why would he say something so narrow-minded and rigid? It sounds intolerant unless it's the truth. Jesus Christ journeyed from heaven to earth and back to heaven again. He knew the way better than any man that had ever lived. The truth is it's actually loving and kind to tell somebody the path to heaven. The most loving thing you can do for someone is not save their feelings by telling them they're fine when they're not. How many of you have heard of the, the act Penn and Teller? 
They're probably one of the biggest acts in in Vegas. Penn is a well-known atheist, but listen to what he has to say about an interaction he has with a Christian who tried to share his faith with him. It's done on his phone video, so the, the quality of the video is a little bit rough, but his message is very clear. Check it out. I want to talk to you about this. The end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph. And, and there was one guy waiting over to the side. He was very complimentary. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition, which is part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me, and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man, and uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man... That was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Penn said, if I believed without a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, there's a certain point I'm going to tackle you, and this is more important than that. That's why it's not as simple as tolerant or intolerant. It's not wrong to have firm beliefs, but know why you believe what you believe. That's That's where Peter starts, but let's read on. Peter gives us another way to disagree well. In 1 Peter 3.16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. 
because you belong to Christ. So live with gentleness and respect for others. That is true tolerance. Have a firm belief, but engage with people that disagree with you. We heard that in the video as well with this Christian who engaged with Penn. Gentleness means without anger, without putting other people down, without disrespecting their viewpoint, even if it seems ridiculous. It means remembering that anyone that you have a conversation with, anyone that you disagree with, is created in the image of God and is loved by God the same way that you are. That means we're going to try our very best to empathize and understand every person's viewpoint, even though we might not always agree with what they're saying. I know what some of you are thinking, but Don, come on, man. There are some horrible things going on in this world, some horrible things going on in this country. Somebody needs to speak up about it. And you're right. We do. But God tells us how to do it well. Somebody told me once, would you rather be right or would you rather be righteous? You may be right, but he calls you to be righteous. It's not just Peter. The Apostle Paul challenged us the same way. Paul knew what it was like to struggle with this being right and being righteous. In Colossians 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. What Paul is saying is that your approach, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is critical in how you're going to honor Christ in your life. How your answer and how you respond to people that you disagree with should be gracious and attractive to them. Nobody should ever walk away with a conversation with you saying, what a self-righteous know-it-all. Being right over being righteous is not the end game. And do you know why? It's because those scriptures come from a God who has shown us some pretty amazing grace, hasn't he? He was tolerant toward us. He may not have been tolerant towards the sin that enslaves us, but he made a way to be forgiven for every wrongdoing. And I want you to know that his arms are open wide today, wherever you are. Shouldn't we respond the same way to other people? I heard a story a few years ago about Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. In an interview with Dan Cathy, he was asked about his view on marriage And he said very plainly, well, I believe, and I believe the Bible confirms, for one man and one woman for a lifetime. What followed that interview was an organized and well-publicized protest against Dan Cathy and against Chick-fil-A. Dan Cathy heard about uh, one of the groups protesting the loudest against Chick-fil-A, and he reached out to probably his most outspoken critic, a gay activist named Shane Widmeyer. Widmeyer agreed to meet with Dan Cathy, and they had multiple conversations. And over time, they started to get to know each other and just listen through each other's viewpoints. It was clear that these people had completely different worldviews and approaches to life. Widmeyer went on to write an article later about his experience with Dan Cathy, and this is what he said. It's not very often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Never once did Dan Cathy ask our organization to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, he listened intently to our concerns. He sought first to understand. Cathy offered no apologies about his genuine beliefs about marriage, nor did he change his position. But his demeanor was one of respect, kindness, and openness. Friends, there were deep disagreements between these two people. No apologies for believing what they believed to be true. 
but love and friendship and gentleness and respect were shown all at the same time. Matter of fact, Dan Cathy took Shane Widmire to the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I'm assuming he had tickets. Two people with totally different views who are willing to sit across the table from one another and say, because of my view on how much God loves you, I'm willing to hear you and walk with you. And that's how we can be tolerant in the midst of an intolerant culture. After all, isn't that the kind of tolerance that God has shown me, that he's shown you, that he's really shown all of us? Romans 2.4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Despite the life we live and how much we think we've got it all figured out, the love of God meets us where we are today. And he's inviting us to realize that in the midst of our sin, he's given us a way to come back into a restored relationship with him. He's shown us that tolerance by giving his son to die in, in, in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. The most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16, is a perfect example of his tolerance. I'd love to read this together as a church. Can we read this together? Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the first step we take once we believe in Jesus is we express that belief through baptism. If you've never taken that step before, I want you to know that this, this word whoever, it means for whoever. That means everyone. It doesn't mean you have to clean up your, your life first. It doesn't mean you have to have a better understanding of the Bible or read the Bible first. It means whoever. Next week, we have a baptism celebration here, and this is a great opportunity to take that next step. Sometimes we come up with reasons to wait on baptism. There's a lot of I believe, but kind of moments. I hope through this series that we've answered some of those questions for you. We've removed some of those obstacles. If we have, and if it did, maybe the only obstacle left is you. If you're ready to take that next step, all you need to do is just pull out that welcome card and the seat back in front of you. There's a little green section. Just say, I'm ready to have a conversation with somebody about baptism, or I'm ready to get baptized, and you can drop that off at the connect wall. If you still have questions and you're not sure and you want to talk to somebody, I would love to talk with you, and I'm going to be out in the lobby as well. If you're ready to take that next step, you just need to be able to remove that last obstacle of you. Oftentimes we stop at verse 16, but I want us to continue to read together to the next verse, verse 17. Let's read this together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has invited every one of us to receive that kind of tolerance that he's shown us. In a moment, we're going to sing a new song called God So Loved. And during that song, I want you to think about the love and the tolerance that God has shown you and how you can live that out in the lives of other people. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being so tolerant and loving, even in the midst of our sin. And that you loved us enough to send your son as a sacrifice so we could be in a restored relationship with you. I pray that your spirit will help us to be a reflection of you and your tolerance within our communities, our families, and all of our relationships. Whenever people come in contact with us, may they feel your love before they hear our message. 
Father, for those who are struggling with their belief in you or with the decision of baptism, I pray that you give them clarity and you give them courage and they feel the peace that only you can provide. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.